March 12, 2021. It's the for Pedro's show. <laughs>
For Pedro show. Happy Friday. Uh, started with John Coltrane live at Birdland 1963 doing Alabama. And then presidential love theme from Tom Barax. Uh, mm-hmm. Brother Matt, well, you might have heard something there, people. Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto uh, Pleasure Point, a couple miles south because we're still quick quarantino mode. But I am not totally man alone because those. Skype Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. I got all the way from Baltimore, Tom Borax. Welcome aboard, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people, listeners, I was talking a little bit, telling Tom, man, there's something going on in Baltimore. There's people making some wild music, him and Dora, you know. So, so I want to learn about your 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 journey through music, Tom, please. Your mm-hmm. earliest musical recollection. Yeah, um, yeah, and I and I have I'm going to talk to you about these recollections, but I will answer your question first. Um, I uh, my earliest musical recollection is um, well, I my dad was a, is a is a musician. He's a music teacher and stuff, so it's kind of hard for me to really. Uh, it might be a little hard for me to place that, but um, uh, it's been in my house and in my you know in my life. I I think always so i think that that's what makes it so vague but uh 
you know, he he had a, a big record collection and um, and a lot of instruments, including a, a grand piano in the house. So, uh, I mean, I think that my my most formative things is I just remember really like listening to to top forty and being really into it. You know, at a really young age, like kindergarten. You know, where I would like tune it in and listen to it. So I remember Casey Kasem in that uh, clearly uh, being, you know, like a kindergartner, a first grader. And where was this? This is in Baltimore. I'm okay. a native. Okay. That, wow. Cause a lot of cats have talked to there. Then you might know where I first played as a minute man, your town. It was a place called the marble bar. Heck yeah. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of the neighborhood. Now I have to say I'm a little bit younger, so uh, the the Marble Bar was a ruin when I was active in the music scene. Um, but it was I, kind the of a ruin is, then too. <laughs> the the building is there, and and you can see the Marble Bar. And in fact, I have a feeling that if I was you know daring enough, I could maybe spelunk into the Marble Bar. But I never went to the place. Okay. Okay. Okay, because everybody else I talked to, they, it's before their time, but you know in there, and maybe you couldn't mm -hmm. get in because, yeah, mm -hmm. drinking, drinking age mm -hmm. and shit like that. But uh, now that piano you remember, and you remember it's a Watt from Pedro show, so there's no hard questions, there's no wrong answers. Mm -hmm. But that, that piano, did you jump on it? No, I don't think I did anything abusive to that piano no, um, no. <laughs> although I, I i must say that the piano is in my house now the house that i live in and i have been abusive to it as an adult because it's a piece of crap no i may so, jump on it like uh like you know you initiated trying to play it or or were you like forced to take lessons uh i played it uh, before I, I was forced to take lessons. I did not do great with the lessons, but my dad tried to teach me to to read and write music because I had, I remember having this idea when I was maybe like six or seven that I was going to compose. Uh, like, and I, and I mostly, I remember writing this song because he taught me how to write the notation and the values of the notes. And I remember writing a song and it was like this little melody that maybe lasted like three bars. And then the rest of the whole page was like the finale and it, all, it, you know, and it was like, it was almost like this, like Wagnerian, like storm on drang, you know, like big drawn out ending. Um, but still, yeah. I mean, it's six or seven. That's pretty fucking good. What, what about what about at school? Were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? All I mean, all of the above. Um, I I I played trombone, and then uh, when I was in high school, I was you know into guitar, so I became a jazz uh, aficionado, and and I was the guitarist in the jazz band in high school. But at a younger age, I was in the church choir. as Catholic. Um, there's a lot of Catholic stuff in Baltimore, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so I was I sang in the church choir and I played trombone in in a sort of uh, late elementary school kind of middle school setting. Yeah, bass clef. Yes, and but yeah. I would I mean, understand uh, from my friends who had to do the marching band <laughs> shit. The big mouthpiece made it a lot easier than working trumpet or French horn. Yeah, I can't do those. I can't do those. My dad was a French horn uh, uh, player in uh, in like classical setting. Oh wow, John Antwistle, the bass man. Pictures of Lily has a fucking French horn solo in the middle by him. Really? I wouldn't shit you, Damn. Tom. 
I mean, I listen to Picture of Lily a lot. I'm trying to imagine French horn in that. That's a that's a wonderful song. Uh, yeah, the, really? in the middle of it, listen to it again. There's a French. Or, okay. I mean, there ain't a lot of rock songs with fucking French horn solos. Yeah. But that yeah. one's in there, and it's from Mr. Antwistle. And yeah. uh, I used that song to write my very own Piss Bottle Man. If you want a, a little <laughs> tangent there. So what about the first record you bought with your own money, Tom? Uh, I can tell you this one with confidence. It's the same time span. It's like I was maybe five years old or six years old. And um, this might sound like I'm boasting, um, but it was actually Let There Be Rock by ACDC. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And it was at Kmart. It was at Kmart. And I think it was four bucks. Um, what about the first gig you went and saw? I, I mean, maybe I saw hardcore shows and stuff at, you know, at a pretty young age, like 13 or 14, but I can't remember. Maybe that was like in a church basement or something, but I saw Rush. Okay. I saw Rush play in Baltimore at age 14. I've seen Rush twice and I conked at both gigs and they were like 30, almost 40 years apart. Well, yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty sick dudes. I, I, mean, I got they, to meet a couple of them because, uh, yeah, Les Claypool was real in that. Opened up for Primus in, in Toronto. I'm, they were very nice guys, and they all know how to play and stuff. But, uh, uh, what about? Um, you said you got into guitar. How did you get your first guitar? Was it a gift? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, you know, my dad. I told you he was a French horn player, but he actually um, to make cash because he he didn't want to stay in the classical scene because it. I think it was too competitive for him, and he lost his appetite for it. So he he was like a high school teacher, and he um, he played learned every instrument. Yeah, I was so, going to say usually music teachers can play a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, and so he I think that he just went berserk in the early seventies and decided he wanted to start this like blood, sweat, and tears slash Chicago Transit Authority <laughs> type band, and and he like you know he would like play guitar rhythm guitar, and then he would reach up and grab a trumpet or, or, you know, he could play, he played all the, the things. So he had a Les Paul cause he played in this, you know, like cover band that started out as a blood, sweat and tears band. Um, uh, and he had a Les Paul in the basement. So when I was 14 and I was like, I want to play electric guitar. He just, you know, blew the dust off this Les Paul and basically it was mine. Ah, oh, so a donate. Yeah, that, that's yeah. Cool. You know what the guitar man would whoop out the trumpet and shit? It was uh, Dick Dale. <laughs> Dick Dale. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's would... not him playing trumpet on Miserloo, is it? Yeah, I think it is. And he what? Would do... I know if at gigs he did that. Oh, man. That guy's, yeah. He, yeah, kind of all around. Tremendous. And he's Lebanese, too. I knew that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His ethnicity. and uh, mm -hmm. You know... Uh, the trumpet, there's something about it because, especially a lead guitar, it's kind of monophonic, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so, so uh, Ennio Marconi, you know, he he was a trumpet man, and you hear him using the surf guitar in his compositions. Here, mm -hmm. I want to play something from you. Doug's username on eBay: Spaghetti mm -hmm. Van Halen.
guys. Steal the shop cards. Are the bone guys, guys.
from Pedro's show. Yeah, that was snacks. So uh, well, we're going to get to this, but this is an early prodge of uh, Tom Barax's. Doug's username on eBay, Spaghetti Van Halen. Then we had Network Glass with NF. There's Door. Tobacco. Yeah, that's Door. Right. Tobacco with Full of Doom. Brand new. Mr. Tom out of Pittsburgh's got a new album called Fucked Up Friends Number 3. Barry Burko band after that. Until when? Bombus Prendon. Chicken Scratch Fanfare. These guys have been around for about 40 years. Recorded like five, 6,000 songs. Did five gigs. M.B. Jones had a poo song with dinosaurs. And finally, Leprechaun Catering. We're going to hear a lot of Leprechaun Catering, people. Gorgeous asshole. Now, um, you know the thing, now you got a guitar, so you must have got an amp tube scene of being a Les Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. what about, the, now I'm not saying after school, like you graduated, but like after school in the afternoon, did you do the bedroom band, the garage band, the basement band with friends? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, high school was the time. And, um, and it was, I, I, my parents left Baltimore. And, um, so I was in a, a rural place at the time and it, 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 it was very, uh, I guess it was very thrash metal oriented at this time. I think, it, you know, this is like, um, the mid, mid, mid to late eighties period. And, uh, uh, and it was hard to find anybody interested in anything other than that out in the in the rural areas but i did eventually kind of start a i guess you could say like an art punk band uh when i was in high school now were you like when you were five or six and composing or were you guys copying stuff off people's records no it was pretty i think it was pretty uh it was pretty original i mean i think that i i think i i mean not you know i don't want to sound like an ass but yeah it was i was already sort of you know, I was sort of into this idea of being, you know, like a like a visionary, you know, like tuning all my strings so they were floppy and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> okay. That's why you said art rock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did this band have a, a name? This was the Lawnmowers. The Lawnmowers. And, and did the Lawnmowers, was it just practice or did you guys do gigs? We recorded, but we didn't do gigs. So we were kind of like, uh, you know, we were kind of like the post-Sergeant Pepper uh, in our post Sergeant Pepper phase, but we never had a pre Sergeant Pepper phase. We just recorded on. We just recorded four track songs. So you you have recordings of this this long. Yeah, voice. yeah, wow, I do. You should have flown me some. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So it, it seems like at some point you let go of the guitar and get in, into electronics. Yeah. Now, do you pursue yeah. music after high school? Do you go to like a college music college? Or? No, I, everybody thought that I was going to go to a music school and I ended up being a poetry major and I dropped out after two years and just went berserk. And, uh, I actually have a master's degree now, but I was out of school for, um, I was out of school for 17 or 18 years after I dropped out and I just did stuff. You know, who was, uh, ran a, uh, two guys ran away to New York city to be poets and they started a band called television, uh, Richard, mm. Hell, Richard Hell and Tom uh, Verlaine. Verlaine, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Season of Hell, right? The Rimbaud mm. Verlaine thing. So, look, poetry's pretty musical. It is. It is. I can see I just got connect. back into it. Yeah. After I dropped out of that, when I told you, I uh, I kind of turned my back on poetry. And last year, I've been poetry nut. Okay, okay. See, life comes in cycles, right? 
It That's does. all right. We take turns. But but you do let go of the guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a few still, but they don't uh, no, they don't, get, mean, they don't hit, meet with my fingers too much these days. Like this music that you flowed me for the show today, it seems mm -hmm. a lot of electronic. It is. So when did that, when, when, I'm, I'm trying to find out when that came about with you. In your yeah, yeah. I'll try to make this short, but um, I, I got into a community here that was, you know, doing a lot of improvised and experimental music in the night in the like mid 90s. And uh, I was playing only guitar at the time. And uh, uh, I saw somebody I saw two two shows. One of them was this guy named Jim Baker in Chicago, who's still around. He's he's amazing. And uh, he is a like a virtuoso jazz pianist, you know, plays with Ken Vandermark and, and those kind of guys uh, since th that time period. But he um, he has had an ARP 2600 synthesizer and I just had never seen anything like that before. But he was playing it in this almost like jazz way or like free jazz, you know, and just seeing him kind of wrangling it. Uh, I, I just I, it just it totally cooked my my brain. Um. Yeah, made and it and it just I was like because I was into I was into club music and house music because I used to go to all the sort of techno and raves and club things in Baltimore at the time, but I didn't really know how to get into it or what it was. And then I was so into experimental music that I just assumed that my clubbing was like kind of just uh, you know some other thing, and that that my interest in electronics was never going to come over into the improvisation world. And then I just when I saw Jim, I was like, that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be like a, you know, a crazy like free jazz jammer on a on synthesizer, and that 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 was it. So so you went and bought a synthesizer. Yeah, I worked my way towards it, and eventually, I guess around 2000, I started like soldering kits and building and making like a you know modular synthesizers. Ah, uh, you, you think uh, one of the gateway drugs was maybe uh, stomp boxes for the guitar? A little bit, but I because I was so into jazz that I, I had this idea that I was going to do everything just with my fingers. So, you know, as recently as like nine, nine, you know, 1998 on guitar, I would just put a pickup into an acoustic guitar and like that was it. Even though I was playing really um, aggressive music, it, the whole, my whole theory was that if I can't just do it with my fingers, then, you know, I mean, that's a very naive thing. And I've, I've gone so far past that. Uh, since then, but that was just that was my feeling back then was you know that it was going to be like and just like a saxophone, but but a guitar or something. Okay. I don't yeah, know. now 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 because you know electronic music like Mr. Baker and stuff and uh, Wendy Carlos and Mort Spotnik, mm -hmm. Carl Haydn Stockhouse, and these people uh, they were actual electronic devices. They weren't part of pewters. And, yeah. and you're talking about two thousands. Uh, so what were you thinking? Maybe I get a pewter that has plugins, or do I get machines like these guys and work them like guitars? Yeah, that was it. I mean, we we the the Leprechaun Catering, uh, my accomplice, uh, Jason Willett. He he uh, uh, and I just all, all of our early albums. I mean, I think most. Of, I don't think there's computers in any of our. Uh, music even to this day i mean we we nowadays in the last 10 years we've been doing a lot of editing with computers yeah. uh, you know of our of our jams but our 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 performances are never uh 
Never a computer. Okay, what was the... Uh, f- f- now, I'm curious, f- your first synthesizer, you, you made it? You built it yourself? Uh, yes, yes, I I did. Um, it, it was like from kits. Um, uh, you probably even know these, these like Paya synth kits. They've been around since the 80s. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, kind of yeah. junk. Um, <laughs> or learning, so I mean, they're great. They're wonderful, actually. Kind of learning devices or something. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Here, here's another trip about the older days. We're going to make an artificial keyboard. But then the, the real electronic musicians know these are their own instruments. These are not fake keyboards or string sections or organs. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I first saw Peru, uh, Alan Ravenstein, mm-hmm. he had no keyboard. It was just two boxes with uh, knobs and uh, patch cords. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I eventually did get a Korg Monopoly, and I actually I just saw the other day that Behringer uh, reissued it, or they built a, a, a Monopoly, or like people can actually like buy this weird like new monopoly, but I bought one of those around 2002 and, um, that was a good one. And I, and I liked the keyboard on it because I'm so, such a piano person. Like I have a harpsichord now and I play harpsichord all the time. I think I sent you a harpsichord song, uh, in there, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still play keyboards a lot, but there's a, there's a book called analog days. Um, it's sort of about Moog and Buchla. And apparently, like Vladimir Ushashevsky, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, he was always, you know, getting on Moog about, like, well, why do you want to do the keyboard? And, like, you know, like, you don't, this is a whole new instrument. You don't need to put a keyboard on it. And I think that, that he, and eventually Moog was, you know, kind of getting convinced by that. He was like, I guess they're right, you know? And then I think that Moog changed his mind and he was like, it's just a trigger, you know, like the keyboard is just a map. And in the synth, it could just be whatever you want it to be. And even though I don't have a keyboard on my synth nowadays, um, I just I think like a keyboardist and I I like the keyboard. I think the keyboard is 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 perfect. You know, it's the right it's the right thing. You got a pioneer people they get kind of purist a little bit. So maybe that's what was. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, March 12, 2021. Dish Peter Show special guest, Tom Borax. Hold tight for hour two. March 12, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
mistakes
Pedro Show start off the second hour with Barbaric Sports from Leprechaun Catering. Ben Salter with Warren Mason doing Mistakes. And Clara Rockmore with uh, Midnight Bells. Now, she's a, a protege of the Theremin cat. Mm-hmm. See, uh, you're talking triggers, right? And the mm-hmm. Theremin's all about the trigger. Yeah. It's a proximity thing, right? Proximity. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had quite a few of those over the years. Using uh, hand capacitors. Now, I was, uh, uh, we were talking about, you know, the keyboard and the synthesizer mm-hmm. in, in this weird kind of relationship. But are you aware of this lady, uh, the doctor, she, she uh, performed the Doctor Who theme, uh, uh, Dar- mm-hmm. Darby, uh, Delia uh, Derbyshire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, one reason she quit electronic music was because of the synthesizers. She said everybody should be cutting on tape and shit. Why are we using mm-hmm. these? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a lot of resentment in the radiophonic workshop about the synthesizer. Yeah, they thought it was really abrasive. Yeah, and kind of like tr- trying to do some shortcut on the electronic truth, mm-hmm. which meant you know more like clay, right? And you don't know until you throw it on the wheel and start sculpting, right? And uh, mm-hmm. it was too mm-hmm. set in the ways and. To me, it's all very provocative and interesting and it's just inspiring. You know, mm-hmm. these are all ways to uh, channel uh, human expression, right? And the stuff we can share. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about how you mentioned your uh, Leprechaun Catering. And it, it, mm-hmm. it was a duet? When was it's it? a duo, yeah. It yeah. was a trio when we had uh, for maybe three years. I mean, uh, Jason and I have been playing together for 20 years. Yeah, um, well, well, tell me about the whole trip. How did Le- Leprechaun Catering get going? Well, Jason is uh, Jason's great. He's a really interesting guy. He he runs a records shop out of Baltimore, and he's been doing that for about thirteen or fourteen years. Um, and he's also the bass player in Half Japanese, ah, uh, the, the, the current iteration of Half Japanese. Um, he he. Um, it was one of those things where he he lived in a warehouse in Baltimore all through the '90s, and he he was so eccentric that he like never left, and um, he like never left his his place. And I and all the people that I knew that were are starting to you know kind of introduce me into the community and um, making like experimental music and noise music. Everybody who met me because I was I was trying to be as, as eccentric as I could. So I would always you know I was smoking a pipe everywhere I went. And like, you know, always wearing like, you know, pointy toed shoes and like all this stuff and ties and whatever. And um, and everybody who met me and like my aesthetic, everybody was like, you got to meet Jason. And I kind of it was kind of annoying to me because I was like, well, I don't want to have like some other eccentric, you know, guy, that I, you know, that I'm like competing with. And um, <laughs> and I think people were saying it to Jason, too. And uh, um. And when eventually we did meet, I think that we were both kind of just scoping each other out in this like antagonistic way. Um, and then I went to India for about six months. And I, when I got back from India, I needed a place to live. And Jason was staying in the house that I moved into. And we just started playing Leprechaun Catering from that point forward. And that was it. Who came up with the name? I am going to tell you exactly who came up with the name. His name is Rupert Wondolowski, and he's a poet in Baltimore, and he also runs a record store and a bookstore. Of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And what did he say? Tom, he, I, I he, know a name for your band. 
<laughs> no, no, he. I, I actually worked as a chef for a long time, and um, oh, and people cater. started pay, people started paying me to uh, cater stuff, and um, and he and Rupert he does this voice when he calls people, and he left this message on my machine at the time it was like, Mister Borax, I need you to do a leprechaun catering gig for me. And uh, that was it. I was just, I thought that was funny, and that's the name. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Lucky charms. Here, I, I want to <laughs> play, I like the title of this, Military Blunder. Mm -hmm. There's a big history, Clipper Ships, Fells Point, right? Yeah.
Live from Pedro Show. Leprechaun catering with military blunder. Hatchet Field, Northern Ireland. Leave the water home. Uh, let leave the water come. And then Tommy Dayhill at Alaska with Tamneo Bess. Yeah, this is Gaelic. It's, I slaughter another language, people. I'm sorry. Uh, and finally, Leprechaun catering. Bad guys redeemed without reconciliation. <laughs> so, uh, what was the first Leprechaun catering gig like? Uh, I don't think we really learned our, our, we hadn't really gained our shtick at the time. And so it was probably a struggle. Uh, yeah, it was probably a struggle. I think, I think it took us a little while to get something really going. I know we did one gig um, really early on where um, Jason had a stylophone. You know those things? Sure. Yeah. He, um, he had a stylophone record. And I think it's this guy who's a famous Australian rock star named Rolf Harris. And, and like Rolf is giving the instructions of how to play the stylophone. And I played sitar because I studied sitar when I was in India and I'd just gotten back from India. And I think we did a gig where we played along with like Somewhere Over the Rainbow and like Brazil and all these, uh, you know, sort of 60s kind of stylophone, easy listening songs. And we played along with the record. So we brought a turntable to the gig and I played all the melodies on sitar and he played the mel he doubled the melodies on stylophone. Well, you said something about you guys starting as a trio. The trio was in the middle and oh, that was okay. with a drummer named Dan Breen. Yeah. Okay. So did you, you, you probably had the shtick by then, but then the shtick changed. The stick, the shtick changed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. When you guys get together, do you, do you compose? Uh, do you Never. Collab? Never. Okay. So no, it's totally, totally free form. Uh, the, yeah, the composing is comes in the editing. Ah, um, okay. Because we've always had lots of samplers and stuff. And before computers, we would just sample our jams. Our, we would sample ourselves and then order it around uh, and just kind of, you know, place things in certain spots and then occasionally pull out stuff, you know, or, or an occasionally overdub to make, to make the, it feel more like a cohesive thing. So you, you create like parts for these uh, compositions or pieces mm -hmm. by improvising. And then mm -hmm. it's almost like a bunch of little tape recorders, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay. okay. And, uh, but, uh, this this is after the fact, and this is like when you put it in the pewter the software for the editing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But or uh, mm -hmm. but as far as getting the sounds together, you don't use pewters. You use these uh, yeah organic analog electronic things. Yeah, and samplers, you know, just for rhythms and stuff. Um, but they're not computerized. You know, it's like old hardware stuff because this was twenty years ago. So it right, was like these right. little. Little because boxes. The, uh, the, uh, the more younger people have been told me about being in these kind of like software environments like uh, Live, Appleton Live, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. Reason and stuff like this, right? They're kind of virtual studios. Mm -hmm. uh, when you say shtick, are you, are you saying like versus going to a gig and some guy sits at a table and presses the space bar? Uh, <laughs> uh, which is one of the most exciting things I've ever fucking seen in my life. Well, that was, I mean, I guess it was kind of reactionary because there yeah. were laptop jammers 20 years ago. 
and they weren't they weren't nearly as common as they are now but people used to always back then people used to always make these jokes like you know oh he she's checking her email or he's checking his email and um and i guess that i think that we did make a conscious decision not to do that you know we wanted it to be really exciting um because even though our music was i guess kind of far out or whatever but um we always thought that of it as sort of like rock and jazz and that it was really visual that we wanted people to to see us you know playing and performing and i was I just going to say it's a performance yeah we thought of our, ourselves as being theatrical that it's like a theatrical uh band yeah yeah i mean yeah compared to a recital or something right mm -hmm. you're, mm -hmm. you're almost like vaudeville you work in the room yeah and we did we used to smoke like when we used to be able to smoke inside i mean we would like smoke like chimneys i smoke a pipe but and jason smokes cigarettes but we would like smoke like chimneys all through the whole performance and i used to tap dance and like amplify the floor while i was tap dancing and we used to do all kinds of stuff you know, to, that, you that's know. got that's got tradition going back with flamenco with mm -hmm. the fucking yeah the tap the, the stomping was part of the percussion go along with claps look right there now the second hour march 12 2021 edition what peter show special guest tom borax hold tight for hour three not March twelve,
For Pedro Show, we started off the third hour with a biblical proportion from Leprechaun Catering. Then uh, Mattia Cipolli with Crux. This piece was composed by Stefano Palia, uh, my uh, fratello 
in uh, Senor de Marinaio. Finally, Leprechaun catering with adult care. And uh, yeah, we're talking off air, people, about the, the idea of feet pounding on the ground, maybe the first drums, uh, you know, in the connection with dancing and, and tap dancing. This, and what is music? What is rhythm? And stuff like that. And, 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 and are, uh, culturally, are we conditioned or something to, to, to do the way we do it? It's, it's interesting about that stuff. Uh, but I guess that's uh, uh, one of the interesting things about music. And so, uh, what about the rhythm? Like you, you guys, you brought a drummer in, and was that we did? And that, was that purposely to bring in some grooves? Well, we always had a lot of grooves, and that's always this thing that people used to always talk to us about because we were kind of functioning in a community where there was so much like avant-garde music that didn't have really obvious rhythm and um and leprechaun catering was always sort of like a rhythm rhythm oriented band i mean sometimes it would be a couple rhythms at the same time and so if you know you'd like see people dancing at our shows and they, it looked kind of like they were going to break something because the rhythms were not quite you know uh what wasn't like there's was maybe a little too much rhythm um but uh yeah so we we we've always been really into rhythm and i always i i I guess I kind of think about, you know, the fact that, you know, like thinking about, uh, um, uh, you know, tones that, you know, when you slow like a, you know, like in a synthesizer, when you slow an oscillator down really a lot to below, you know, it just ends up sounding like a, like percussive, like a rhythm. Yeah. And I always feel you know, think about how like, you know, audio is really just really sped up rhythm. And, uh, so I guess that leprechaun catering is kind of like, uh, like that. And, and so that the, I guess the theatrical element with well, the problem with the samplers that we were doing so much sampling and, and using our samplers is that when we would have beats going and, and sort of robotic type rhythm stuff going, that it would be dis too distracting while we were trying to come up with other parts. And I think that we just wanted to have somebody to handle rhythmic things so we could spend less time with samples and more time, uh, you know, creating parts and melodies and, and things. So we brought in the gut Dan, who was in I was in the band Snacks with at the time. Oh yeah, this band of music we played at the beginning of the show. Okay, mm -hmm. now now, how long did he last? He was with us for a while. Um, you know, I think that we were starting to you know we were starting to get a little tense about it because um, it was hard to record. Uh, our jams and the, some of the jams I think with the drums got just, they started, they were, they got too wild and, um, and it was hard to, we were having a harder time doing what we used to do, which was, you know, shaping the, shaping the pieces after the fact into stuff. Um, because I think the live sound, um, we were recording a lot in warehouses and, and spaces like that. And it was really hard to isolate the speakers and, and, you know, so that there would be tons of stuff going into the drum mics because we weren't recording in studios. We were doing sort of home setups, didn't have really great mics for recording the drums and um, you just couldn't get good drum sounds. And um, and so there's not a ton of recordings, although there's a lot of Dan um, on that song Military Blunder that I that I sent. Um, and that might be the only one that has a lot of Dan on it. Um, and that's also one of the noisy, you know, craziest ones, because that's just sort of like a real free uh, free improvised uh, vibe that we had for those years that we played with him. Okay, okay. 
Here, I want to play Why Do I Leave Things on Earth.
right, people. Last music for this edition. Tom Borax. Why do I leave things on Earth? Then Day Glow exploding super infinite with Here Now is Fire. And finally, Tom Borax. If only, if could only be expressed in the ringing of bells and explore, explosion of. Fuck <laughs> what? Get together. Now, 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 these final two tunes you gave me, mm-hmm. they're Tom mm-hmm. Borax. Yeah, I just did these like a month ago. Okay, so, but 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 is Leprechaun Catering still an active concern? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just uh, we just did a video set. You know, um, obviously because of the pandemic, we're not playing live. But we did a we actually played together, and and I made a, a video of it that was on a you know kind of a video festival sort of cabaret thing like about a week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, obviously I have some solo music because I'm just, I'm here, you know, and I, I, there's church organ and stuff on the one song. Cause I, they, these, there's a church in town. that has been letting me go in there and record pipe organ. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, those things, they're like installed, right? They don't move. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the biggest instrument I've ever played. I mean, it's an honor, really. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I've been to Spain. Yeah, I've been to, uh, there's a town called Seville. Well, Seville, yeah. right? But we say Sevilla, right? Mm-hmm. And they got this motherfucking organ. You wouldn't. I think it's the biggest cathedral in the world. It's where they got fucking that. that they call them Cologne. I guess if, mm-hmm. if, if, it looks like colon. <laughs> we don't pronounce it right. And he's mm-hmm. bar- he's buried there. They're, Four big wooden king guys are holding this bone box up. But, man, I mean, there's fucking pipes the size of telephone poles in this this thing. It's, like, incredible. It's next to the Alcazar and the Geralda. And mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Incredible place because, uh, yeah, there was a lot of money five, six hundred years ago there. But, but, but anyway, uh, you go in there, what do you do? You, you jam and then you, you record the stuff and bring it back to repurpose? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I just called them on a whim because I'd done stuff in that church before there. There it's actually the first Methodist church in the entire U S um, it's in downtown Baltimore. They, um, they're kind of cool. And they, they were doing a lot of art events there in their chapel and I was playing the chapel organ and the sanctuary organs really a lot bigger and, um, and louder and crazier. And the, I didn't think they would let me play it. And I just kind of called them, and they let me come down there and and play and just I'm by myself and I I was just jamming for the first couple times then I started recording and eventually I did a streaming concert back in December I did I just wanted to do a durational concert so I played for 4 hours straight Whoa. and just streamed it <laughs> Wow What well, you know man you you put a lot of time in the scene and stuff what about a young person getting into electronic music what would be your advice uh, well, I'm going to maybe take a, um, I might, might take a slightly more reactionary approach to that because I, um, I learned, I, I think that the amazing thing about software, like, like you mentioned Ableton live, uh, is that you can just kind of go in and learn stuff and make stuff without knowing anything. Cause it's intuitive and the instruments are so well designed and, um, and people are just diving in. And I think it's, it's great. I love that about it. But I have to say that I'm constantly uh, leaning back on my musical education. And I know a lot of people will, won't agree with me in that. And they won't 
Um, no, no, I, I, I kind of do because I had to come around the other way, you know, just playing with my friend and then down the road. Hey, what about this harmony stuff <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and intervals and, uh, yeah. And time in, uh, different ways of doing time. And I mean, it's, it, it's, everybody's got to find their own way. Right. So mm -hmm. there's some of that, but, 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 but trying to say, uh, I don't know if it's so reactionary because there's foundational stuff there. And maybe your upbringing because your pop was a teacher, so a little institutional. Mm -hmm. But then you had to mm -hmm. find your own way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the way it is. Yeah, I, I lost my – my I sort of lost my education and then I kind of went back to it. And th yeah. that's what I mean is I'm just – I went so far off that I, I was just – it was interesting when I wanted to to have something to go back to and – you know, it's kind of like going back to Spanish. You know, I, I thought I forgot Spanish. And then my wife's family is Central American. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. I remember Spanish. No, I know. I know. I know Spanish. I didn't think I did know Spanish. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, if you don't want to lose it, you got to use it. <laughs> mm. Okay. Tom, it's been a big honor to have you yeah. aboard. And yeah, play it's your been music. a pleasure. And when you come out with new stuff, whether it's Tom Borax or it's new leprechaun catering please come back on the show and let's listen and talk about it absolutely okay thanks brother people yeah. it's been the march 12 2021 dishwalk peter so keep your powder dry <laughs>